Hello and welcome to the A Block, everyone. As always, my name is Marshall Ferguson. Thank you for being here. I always appreciate you being able to tune in to CFP as we head toward the stretch run of the 2021 CFL season. Of course, we have a great podcast lined up for you today. But first, a quick thank you to a couple of our partners and sponsors. Fox 40, get back in the game with them at Fox 40. Visit their shop at fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and much more. You can use the promo code CFP15 at checkout and get 15% off of your order. And of course, don't forget about Sawdust City Brewing. They got some fun stuff going on right now. Sam Corbet, their brewmaster and co-founder, who I do the tastings with on our YouTube page, he is out there handing out things from his vault. Yes, old goodies that he has hidden away for far too long. He is sharing them directly with you right now. You can check that out on their social media. That's at Sawdust City Beer. And of course, you can always check out their fresh lineup of beers by going to sawdustcitybeer.com. Wish that I was uh, welcoming in my good friend Steve Melton today from the Hamilton Spectator. Under better circumstances, I mean, I could have had him on and we could have talked about the very, very large game that is looming between the Toronto Argonauts and the Hamilton Tiger Cats coming up tonight if you are listening to this on Friday. Uh, but I thought that there's no person on the planet that is better versed and more prepared to speak honestly and from the heart then Steve Melton on Angelo Mosca, of course, passing away at the age of 84. And Angelo is a a special character that, as you'll hear from Steve in this interview, we're not sure there will ever be anybody like him exactly, and there might not even be anybody like him relatively. So he's, he's a unique character, as anybody who has crossed paths with him knows, and his, his memory and his energy, I think, will live on, not just in Hamilton, but across the entire CFL landscape for a long, long time to come. So I wanted to get to that for you as Steve dives into the book that he wrote on Angelo Mosca, with Angelo Mosca, how their friendship was cultivated, what he means to the city of Hamilton, what the connection is with Hamilton, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy, as always. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy our conversation with the one and only Steve Milton. Great to be with you, Steve. I wish it was under different circumstances, but anytime I get a chance to be able to chat with you, it's fantastic. You are one of, if not the highlights of me this season calling games at Tim Hortons Field because I don't get down there enough, and I got down there. And I saw you, and a little weird, I mean, when I saw you last Friday ahead of BC Hamilton, right? It, Angelo came up, and it was the day before he passed away at the age of 84, and I said, hey, what's going on with, with Angelo? And he said, ah, it's, it's tough. He's in tough. He's, he's been battling for a little while here. Uh, it, it was something that I think crept up on a lot of people because you just assumed that the larger-than-life personality and everything that Angelo Mosca was, he was never going to pass away. Like, it didn't matter what was thrown at him. It was like he was this invisible wall where Andrew was just going to punch it in the face and keep moving, right? Well, and that's, I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, there are people in life like that and larger than life. And, and uh, I mean, you know, in, in your heart and, you know, in your heart about everybody that, that the end comes and, and uh, that Angelo, you're right. The size of him and the sort of uh, irrepressibility of him uh, and of course I hadn't seen him in quite some time. Um, pandemic, of course, you, you know, is the, is the big factor there. Many of his friends, and, and believe me, I was not his closest friend and I, uh, and I friends, I mean, I was a good, good friend and close, mm-hmm. but I mean, he had a hundred people closer than me. Uh, and, uh, and before they died, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others. And the number of teammates he had that he kept close to, um, for years and years and years and people who never played with him, who considered him teammates really, because he had been around the Ticats so much, particularly since, uh, since, uh, I would say the mid nineties. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you mentioned that you are, you know, a friend of his and one of the people that he felt yeah. confident being around and communicating with. I remember when we were doing radio together in Hamilton yeah. and we were, we were talking with his, his son and trying to see whether or not he could do an appearance with radio. And he really trusted you. Like yeah. he, he really had this relationship built with you. Where did that begin? Like, how did you two connect with each other and build that over time? I don't know. Maybe it's the midget giant thing, you know, or a small person <laughs> giant thing. So excuse my incorrect language play. Uh, um, that, that could be it. I think there was a bit of a kindred uh, spirit there because, uh, well, Angelo, he, he'd be the first guy to tell you, and it's in his book. He was, he had a pretty wild time, you know, when he was uh, uh, much of his life. And, uh, and I think I've got a, a, a real slash of that in me. And I think he recognized that. Uh, but I think the main thing was that uh, he read, he read the spectator and he knew, and he, and he knew my closest to the team. And before we did the book and before I'd written a couple of things about him. And I, I think memorably, the one was, I think it was around 1990. Well, it'd be 1998, of course, um, where he, uh, he, it was his 50th year since he came to Hamilton, he came to wow. Hamilton in early 1958, played the 58 season. And so that made 50 years of, of basically an icon. And, and uh, I think he liked some of the phraseology in there. And uh, the one that I think, in fact, he wanted to put in his book was uh, it's really hard to tell where Hamilton stops and Angela Mosca begins. Nice. And, and I, I truly believe that. And, and because of what he symbolized, and I think millions or hundreds of people have said that, of course. Yeah. Why was he so symbiotic with Hamilton in your mind? Well, I think you have to, there, there are a number of factors. Uh, I think you, the way he played uh, um, among other things. And remember that when he arrived in 1958, Marsha, uh, the city was really in its absolute, it was mid, mid, middle of the century in which manufacturing uh, old, not old style, but new North America to that time, mm -hmm. but uh, basically industrialized North America, right in the middle of the great century of industrialization of, of North America. And Hamilton was really right there. And it was a, it was, it was a town that, that was exciting to be in. Uh, at, and it was a town that had uh, strong Italian uh, Catholic roots and uh, roots and uh, so did Angelo. Uh, he, 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 uh, he, he was clearly tough. He was clearly didn't take any guff. But the Thai Cats themselves were just forging an identity. They'd been formed only eight years earlier. And that's not long when yeah. you think about it. Go back eight years. You remember what we were doing eight years ago. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and all of us, well, some of us older guys don't. But uh, it, it was forging an identity because it, it was two teams that had been put together that played in a very different place. Uh, and that would be the Hamilton Wildcats and the Hamilton uh, Tigers and they were they had won a couple of great cups and they had started to get that identity uh, as being tough people from a tough town and then along comes Moscow to solidify that front defense uh, with Barrow and and the two of them so that was part of it part of it was nobody had ever seen anything like this before and you, you have to remember this that Angelo was a 300 pounder he always instructed the trainers to tell uh, to, to tell the coaches that he was 290 because there was a thing about 300 pounders there. There was, they were seen and felt to be kind of uh, not strong and fast or any of those. He didn't want to be that. He also had a 24 inch waist at 300 pounds. He, and he was six, whatever, four, and he could run, 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 run. I remember, well, I grew up an Argonaut fan. And I, I, I've, 
because I lived in Toronto. You can't do anything about the geography that you're born into. Right. And and uh, we all hated Angelo because he, you know, he the the image everybody had in the mind is him chasing down and catching people like the quarterbacks and Dick Shadow and fast guys. That was Angelo doing that. Uh, and he was clearly walked the very thin line between legal and illegal and lots more things uh, were legal in those days uh, that are today illegal than they are today. Um, and, and he still crossed that line a lot and admittedly so, and people knew that. And so you throw that together with the downtown where he was a lot and he had a big presence down there. It was clearly a flamboyant person. So he sort of made it okay to be, he advertised that he, he sold it as a brand. The moment he comes here, here's a, here's a pretty good little story on, which I'd forgotten until I reread the book upon his death. And, and uh, I'd forgotten this part that before he got here or before he played for the tiger cats, he drives up in his car, he gets out of his car and he goes immediately to uh, one of my predecessors, uh, Bob Hanley at the spectator. Uh, and he goes to Norm Marshall is quite famous uh, in the Canadian football hall of fame. Um, uh, the broadcaster at CHH, both synonymous with Hamilton, recognizes those are the guys, goes in and introduces himself and gives this very flamboyant. In- now, remember, he hasn't played a game yet. Right. He's got to make the team yet. He didn't even know. He thought he was on the team, but he, di- you know, he didn't know that Americans really had to make the team because they bring in more Americans than they were going to play. So uh, then he gets a job because uh, he needs money. They haven't started to play even practice yet. And he goes to Selco when he works. Wow. So before he plays for the team, March. He's he sold himself on the radio and television or, or, or television and and uh, um, at, at the newspaper. And he's worked at Stelco. So amazing. like, really, come on. It's, so, yeah. So he, he I he mean, represented the town and he made it OK to say that there, there's something about this grittiness, this toughness. And even though we got dirt under our fingernails, we can be we can project that and market that and say, not even sell it, but, but, but it's okay. Not yeah. only is it okay, it's dominant and it's fun. Was that strategic by him or was that just him being himself and it happened to fit Hamilton? Both. Okay. Both. He, the great thing about Angelo, he recognized things in a hurry, tremendous street smarts, right? Remember this is a man who at 16, he, he was forced to live basically fend for himself from the time he almost he was born. And that's this, a very sad part of the book and, 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 and of his life, but a very necessary part. Um, and so anyways, it, it, it gave him the value of a number of things. The value of a dollar he had to learn early because his parents didn't give him any. In fact, he had to give all the money he worked. He sometimes was working three jobs as, as a 12-year-old, you know, whether it was paper routes or he worked at the police station cleaning up before he used to go to school at 5 a.m. and then come would come back. And it's an odd thing that he worked at the police station since his, his dad was running a legal uh, card and craft game. <laughs> and and uh, Angelo was helping him or, uh, you know, his father made him help. him. And uh, so he, he understood a, the value of a dollar, knew that he had to. Uh, but he also understood what he had a really good eye. And I think both he had it naturally and he developed it over time from the sense of survival. And so he could look around. So when you say he recognized when he got here, I know this place. Mm. I can do well here. And he yeah. felt at home. Remember, he, remember this guy who felt he didn't have a home. He got he, uh, he again. This is in the book. I'm not telling any stories out of school here. Uh, and this is him talking. It's not me. He got kicked out of Notre Dame. He got kicked. Uh, he got kicked out of Wyoming. And he got, and he essentially kicked himself out of his own home. 
yeah. was living, he, he finished his last, he never told the people at school that he wasn't living at home. He, he lived with an aunt and, and was working, as I say, two or three different jobs, that type of thing. The other thing he did uh, was he was strong, physically strong. This is a town, town full of physically strong people. You know, it was, it was a labor town and with hard physical jobs. He was the first, he may not have been the first, but, but he was one of the first who brought active weight training. What we today know is weight training. Uh, not just, you know, throwing a couple of barbells. It was, it was kind of a, a, an idea with what he was trying to do. He'd been doing that since he was very young. So all of that, you put all of that together. And it was, a, it sounds like a can't miss thing here now, but, but it was, it, it was, it could have missed easy, you right. know? And, and uh, plus it's clear that he lived on the edge and he was out at night and he knew everybody in the community because he was a kind hearted person disguised under this incredible gruff, uh, exterior. Plus, he fought a lot, and everybody knew about it. People would try to take him on. It's like the fastest gun in town, right? Every everybody with a pistol tries to take you on when you're like Bill was, and they did. And and there were some pretty legendary ones downtown. And and it, that's what downtown Hamlet was like in those days. <laughs> that's such it, a great, such it, a great it, answer, it, Steve. It, well, sorry, it was a long one. No, it's it's a great answer because it's all encompassing. Like I didn't know this stuff till I started really, really talking. We had hours and hours. Well, that's my that's hours. actually my next question for you here because you keep referencing the book, and for people that don't know, for whatever reason, I mean, Steve has written twenty plus books, authored, co-authored, all that stuff. Like yeah. he's he's done an, an amazing job being able to bring so many stories to life. But tell me to my face, it's on Amazon right now. If you want to be able to pick it up it's it's the book on angelo mosca which is not the reason i wanted to have you on steve but certainly the process of going through writing a book is an interesting one because it always is it, it's deep i mean you really got to get in there to tell the story properly which you always do but i have a couple of questions on the book and the process of, of writing the book with him specifically but the the idea of hey maybe i do a mosca book and then you have the reality of, oh, we're going to sit here for hours and hours and hours, yeah. and we're going to work our way through this. Talk to me about how you were able to create this book. And did it end up where you thought it was going to? Did it Was the process different than you imagined? What did you personally get well, out of that experience? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of questions there that yeah. there are more questions than you actually asked, uh, because there, there are many of them are, are pronged. Uh, I'll start in general about books um, when you work. It doesn't matter. What, what level you end up writing them. Because Some, sometimes people don't want to offend people and do all of those kinds of things. The process that you identified at first is true. It's intense. You have to get to, to, to that, you know, whatever is inside of that person. Remembering, of course, this wasn't my idea to do this book. Um, it was, in the first place, it was Bob Young just wanted a book, you know, it said to Angela, you should leave a legacy because of who you are. Hmm. And, uh, and Helen, his wife, to her immense credit, and, and I've talked to her a couple of times in the last week about this, actually, um, suggested that, that not only suggested, but felt it would be very, very good for him to get some things out that he had been kind of hiding and she felt was kind of blocking him. And I don't want to call it, and I've said this on other shows, that I don't want to call it therapy because Angel Gould would say, no, it isn't. But he would always say how good it was. And he'd say, so he'd say, he said to me, now you asked, did it turn out the way I thought? And I said, then I'll tell you exact with a flat no, because um, he he had said to me, "Hey, I got some stuff for you." He says, "I'm really, I'm really going to shock you." <laughs> and I went, "Oh yeah, okay. forever sure. the showman." Yeah, I got a story that you know, and I went, "Yeah, sure," you know, and uh, I didn't. I mean, not that negatively, but I mean, knew that he was going to tell me some stuff, and uh, 
And, and, and he had told me before that, you know, he tends to exaggerate, says all great raconteurs do. There isn't a one who doesn't. In all great mythologies, all great stories, and I've written about it before, one of our problems as Canadians is we don't kind of tend to add a little extra there. And that's why we don't have any, as many myths and as legends in our country about things that we should. And, and uh, because the oral tradition does that, right? And, and sometimes, so I thought, okay. And then he starts, uh, we, you know, we kind of just talked a few things at first. And I said, okay, well, let's start chronologically. We'll see where it goes. We ended up decided to do it chronologically mostly because you couldn't do it any other way because unless you understood the first part, you can't understand the other part of his life. And then he starts talking. And I slid off. I actually slid off the stool that I was sitting on like this because I went kind of <laughs> like I didn't notice what was happening. Like I can still I can still feel it in, in that great uh, uh, view that they have looking out over the uh, um, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the lake or the or the kennel where it starts uh, in in uh, Niagara on the lake and and uh, and I and I looked at him finally I said whoa you weren't BSing me on that like like. Yeah. And it, and he let it go, and several times he cried during that book, and I could see uh, I didn't talk to Helen until because I didn't really get to meet her well until we were well into the book, and 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 uh, I mean I met her, but but uh, then we got talking uh, deeply uh, uh, quite a few times, and I saw I saw what she meant when she said I think Angela needs to say this, and um, do we want to? I mean. I, there's no spoiler now. It's out there all over the place. Yeah. yeah. There's a, the, 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 I mean, there are a number of things, but I mean, he did grow up in a hard scrapple, scrabble area, which you'd never know if you drove through it today, which I did actually in 2011, I happened to be down there for the Stanley cup. So I went through this area near North Boston called Wathaman, which it's been gentrified. And uh, like most of that area has, but it, it was the mean streets in his time. And, and uh, uh, the, you know, lots of people didn't have two cents to rub together his family. Uh, it was his father's second uh, marriage, and there were he El, uh, Angela was the eldest of six, and the father had had five children before, and the mother had died, and he basically the phrase is put the other five put the five children on the state, which means sent them to an orphanage, mm -hmm. and uh, threatened all the time to do that to Angela's uh, Angela and his five siblings. Angela felt quite protective of them and, and of himself. Uh, both his parents were alcoholics. And the most revealing part, of course, is his mother is what in those days was called mulatto, and which meant her mother was African-American. And uh, essentially that meant you were black by the law in the States at the time, if you had to put down, you were black. Well, his father, who was white, uh, Angela called him a racist and, and uh, did not, he made the, the kids never were allowed to mention any of that. He was ashamed of those children in the family who showed a little more African-American, uh, what we would call the classic African-American features. Mm -hmm. and Angelo said to me, after he told me all this, he said, look at my face, can you see it a bit now? And, and you could see a couple of things, right? So, uh, but in other words, he hid this all of his life because his father shamed him into doing it and reinforced that shame with physical beatings all the time. I can, like, there's nobody else in the room but the two of us, but I can feel the room go silent. Yeah. And that's how I felt inside. Uh, and that's how I think everybody who read that, because it starts the, the, the book with that. We have a prologue, you know, I say something, he says something, you know, a little incident, and then he gets into the book. And that's in the first 
four or five paragraphs. And he ended up really, he said, you know, until the day he died that he hated his parents, didn't go to their funerals, didn't feel like it, that kind of thing. He's close to his, uh, particularly his one sister, Carol. And I corroborated all of the detail, details that he, I could because she's six years younger than some of the things he, but the, the, that, uh, that she said about this. So when you know that, now you know a few other things. It's, well, and, and that's, I actually love that you decided to use that at the front of the book yes. because it makes so much sense because as you say, you know, you can't understand the internal strife that he was going through and how he used it to create the King Kong Mosca unless you understand where he's coming from and what he's going. I mean, alcoholism. He didn't even know that. He didn't even know that. That's the thing. Yeah. That, but but that, alcoholism and abuse and all of those uh, and being ashamed and burying all of those feelings. And it's like, he doesn't realize that he's using that to create who he is, but it's very obvious looking from that forward. Well, that pop those... Psychology too. And what we know today, and you really right. have to remember what Boston was in those times and yeah. sort of still is. I mean, uh, it, it, and I don't even know if I want to say sort of, but but it, but it was always, and I even knew this, not even knowing much of Boston, Boston growing up uh, in the 50s, and that it was the most racist part of the United States. Still struggles with it in a big way. Still yeah. struggles with it in a big way, particularly as it relates to athletes. And uh, um, it, it was, he's often said, and Helen and I talked about this recently, um, that he might not have been an, a, a pro athlete had he said that because he wouldn't have got any opportunities probably, or the, the first thing he ever did wrong, he might not have got a break. Not that he got a ton of breaks anyways, or not that he wasn't doing things wrong all the time. Anyways, he, <laughs> he was very proud of, of walking the edge on types of thing. He, you know, uh, even though he regretted what he regretted in life, once he got to a certain point, now would be through his sixties. And that's Helen again. Um, she's not trying to get him to regret anything by any means. I mean, I mean, those two had a, a, a just an unbelievable love, and and uh, but she wanted him to to understand a little bit more about who he was and why he did certain things, and 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 it proved extraordinary. I, I happened to be there when when and to see the flowering of that of that fruit, and and uh, it's, it was quite a gift, right? A gift. I didn't know him, you know, of course, in the '60s and '70s or '80s, just only from afar. But to to uh, to be there for that part in somebody's and, and how he should have been very proud and he was I think of and Helen should be the most proud of anybody I think uh, and even his children for how they rallied to him and uh, because he would admit that it, he hadn't always been the best father and and uh, and the, how they rallied to him for over the last twenty years and and uh, they all worked together and they have this big large blended family. Um, that that is uh, you know just full of love and and they and again they're they'll grieve for a long long time Marsh because of what what they're missing. Yeah, I can't imagine having a. I mean, for Hamilton and for CFL fans that loved him or got to interact with him, having a larger than life figure be gone, but you haven't seen him in a while is one thing. To be in the family and have that larger than life presence in every single room that you're in, growing up and around, and then to not have it is well, a big, whole. Lot. People that take up a lot of space, and I'm talking metaphorically and physically, right. also leave metaphorically and physically a big hole, yeah. right? And everybody leaves a hole when they go, you know, I mean, there's always an absence and, 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 uh, you know, and, and, and the, the, you know, and just was just, just, uh, so big. And, and, uh, it, uh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard from people just about Ange, right? Mm -hmm. Just yep. because of your association with the city and with the game. Well, anybody in the city associated with the city and the game in any way, 
has heard from somebody about it in one form or another. Well, that tells you something. That tells you that probably nobody, I can guarantee you, no face, no voice. uh, And both those things were so angie. There there were no distracting who they were. And of course, for people of a certain age, those were reinforced by, I think the number was 200 different commercials, radio and television. Um, that that played upon his face, his voice, his toughness, but it was voice and his face were very recognizable. And there was, I I don't think there's even a second place of a voice, a face and a name tied together that are so associated with this city. Amazing. Yeah, it is. I want to let alone the tie cats. Yeah, no doubt. I want to ask you about, there's a a piece of the blurb uh, for tell me to my face. Yeah. That says, Mosca, always a good storyteller, manages to translate his plain smoking, often profane style onto the printed page. <laughs> he tells more than a few good yarns. Now, I believe that's a quote from you somewhere in there. But, uh, but, but I mean, it's, it's a bit of a telltale sign, Steve. I know you when I see the word yarns being used yeah. for storytelling, I'm like, oh, I think Steve said that. But, yeah. um, but when, when I think about talking to him and having those conversations, obviously, there's going to be some emotional hurdles that you're going to hit and you're going to work your way through. But the translation of Angelo's communication and, and the way he liked to communicate stories and turning that into a book. That's, a, that's amazing to me because I've had conversations with him. I've been around him, listening to him, talking to people and you might've done it at a different time before I got to know him and it might've been slightly different, but the way that he verbalizes his thoughts isn't really conducive to writing a book off of quotes no, like that, but no, you, you took on that task. And so I'm, I'm interested in the way that you were yeah. translating and bringing out the best of him. Well, in any book, and I think fiction or nonfiction, there's a thing called voice. Even when you're writing a column, when you write your column for CFL.ca, uh, there, there's a voice and you sort of have to land on that. Mm. And uh, th- this book could only be told in his words. There were a few points... There's a, a, just a couple of places where I would, I went and had a little chapter and that's why we made it in a whole different font in the book. And because it'd be clear that I was looking at this now as an objective person, setting this in context. One, when I talked to Carol about growing up and what that house was like, because, you know, uh, just, just to set that more in context. And I think there was a couple of other things about where the CFL was at or, or things like that. And, right. and uh, so now it becomes the point do because Ange likes to swear. It's funny. He never swore in the presence of, uh, he's an old school guy. Yeah. Never swore in the presence of in mixed company, but man, the rest of us, it was like a locker room. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and it's funny because I think the very last thing and I, and, and whether it was, it's actually true or not, I'm going to take my own advice about mythologizing. It was in there and it was true. It's just, what were these the last words he ever said to me when I look back and, and they were one of those race, not racial, sorry, a uh, locker room, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, you know, like that kind of, it was perfect. Yeah. You know, so uh, do we, how much of that do we put in? Well, I think the, the F word is in the first two sentences. <laughs> you know, my, my dad is an effing prayer. Right. And, and, uh, and I, there were, there was more of that. It was really hard to get, um, Angela has that that Boston area accent, mm-hmm. which you didn't always hear, but you heard it when he got tired or angry or excited or happy or those kind. Of, it would come out more, and lots of times in the so I didn't want to do that. 
I didn't want to sort of put those in, but I had him say that a cup, you know, that sometimes he has an accent like that. And I had his sister say, both of us are like that. We, you know, I still park the car in the Harvard yacht, you know, which, which you, you only heard at certain times. Right. And, and, uh, but when it mattered most, when he wanted to make his point, when he wanted to, when he was angry and had stayed angry about certain things. And I think that's fair. We all, all did. And he was never dishonest about that. I'm, I'm pissed at this guy and I'm, I'm, you know, or this person and I'm going to, you know, and I think they deserve it. And whether I'm right or wrong about that, that's so in those times, then that uh, what we would call profanity, which to me is just colorful language. I mean, I've grown up with it. I, I'm, yeah, I have to watch my own swearing myself. And, and uh, you know, when you and I were doing the radio show a couple of times, I went, Wah! I went, I it was one of it was one of the great adventures of doing radio with you was going, man, I hope Steve doesn't swear. Tonight. I hope he doesn't see. <laughs> <laughs> but it was over. Our, our friend Louis said to me, you can't say that in the air. I said, I just did. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> so, right. I mean, I wasn't swearing, but 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 you can't do it right. I mean, I remember one time I had a boss. And he got real mad at me. And then he and he dropped an F-bomb in the middle of, of the sentence. And I and he was really mad at me for something I've done. And I deserved it. And I went, whoa. He said, what? I said, do you want me to teach you how to swear? <laughs> because it was all wrong. I mean, it, was, it just wasn't natural. It didn't, didn't, it didn't flow. So when it felt that it that it should flow, that it would it was an important part of the narrative. And if you took it out, it would make it look like somebody that's totally unrelated yeah. to Angelo Mosca was saying it, it was in there. I think that was the theory I used, but I, I, I'm only trying to verbalize it now because you asked March. It, 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 it was more a natural feel for it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a difficult balance certainly to strike as you're trying to make your way through, but the, the story of Angelo is one that is going to last uh, forever. And, and a large part of that, as you say, is the legacy of the book and it, it will mean something to a lot of people. What do you hope, whether it's, through people reading the book or people just getting to know him in different forms of media. What do you hope that people will remember him for moving forward? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I, I think you want him to be remembered for uh, that no man is no person, no human being is, is uni or even by or tri-dimensional there that we're all very, very complicated human beings and that that you can you can you can be rough around the edges and and as I met, have often said about Angelo, those edges go very deep mm -hmm. <laughs> that are rough, um, uh, and still have this massive heart. That that above all, he found a home to this city and tried to pay them back. This in his way, and sometimes you know he might lose that way, but most times he paid this city back, I think more than it gave him. And it gave him a lot, a lot. That's one thing I'd like to remember. I think the other thing is what he would want, which is that, but, but also that, that that's, that it's organic, that, that in somebody like that, or in somebody achieving whatever the most they can do on whatever stage they're presented. And I think we'd have to say Angela Mosca did that mm -hmm. given whatever the stage was that he was presented. Let's say the CFL of uh, um, um, being in a small town that, that exists in the shadow of another town, that you can create your own shadow. 
and and uh, however you do that and and um, yeah my, you know I, I don't think he'd recommend a lot of the ways that he did it but that's what I mean about organic that it's ongoing it didn't stop here that it that as an example it is uh, uh, and I hope and I, I would hope that's the same for anybody who's a legend and has an impact on on uh, on people in a in a community is that that you can't just sort of look at it. It's got to be active, right? There has to be something that comes out of that. And I think there has been. Angelo gave the city of pride through its, through its, you can still see it at Tim Hortons field. You can still see it, even though Tim Hortons field is upscale. Yeah. For the most part, compared to, to Ivor Wynn, the place where this all germinated, it's upscale, um, much more upscale and, and deliberately so, but the heart of it is still there. Bob Young has always seen that hard. And Bob Young is a very different guy than, than, than a lot of the people who, but he's the same guy as the people who cheer for his team. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've always said, you know, the, the priest sits next to the parishioner, the judge sits next to the parolee, and, and they're, they're all sharing the same thing when they're in what I call our, our town hall. That is, that is our town square. Yeah. Ivor Wynn, and I think Tim Hortons Field is has become the same way. And we may see that in the soccer team as well yeah. uh, in, in its own way. Uh, but that's what I hope is that, it, that, it, that, that the sense of uh, that, what, what, uh, and I wouldn't want to call Angelo a role model necessarily because you wouldn't, there are lots of parts of things, you know, that, that he would say, don't do what I did on in these areas. Uh, but that, that there are inspirations in, 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 in it. And that's what inspiring does is it makes people, sort of do some good things. And I, I, I'm hoping that, that that continues for him. Yeah. No, last one that I got for you here. I was doing an interview with Ed Tate this week from bluebombers.com yeah. about uh, seeing Knuckles there to announce that he's going to end up retiring, which is crazy. But he we're asked... Explain who Bob... Bob Irving yes. Is, right? Yeah. I mean, Knuckles, yeah, he's... So Bob he's Irving is, is stepping down after his one billionth Blue Bombers broadcast uh, coming up at the end of this season, whenever that is. Probably the Great Cup, but hopefully he gets to call the Great Cup. We'll see how that all shakes out. Uh, and the question that Ed Tate asked me that's going to be in his article was, as a young play-by-play guy, what do you take away from listening to what Bob Irving has done? And I said, the biggest thing to me is that everybody that comes through and does play-by-play now, we're not doing it in any original way. We're all doing it the cookie-cutter way that people say play-by-play should be done. And we're just trying to be better than each other at doing it the cookie cutter way, because there's only one way to do it. That's play by play. And I said, Bob, to me, it's always been amazing. He's an original. When you listen to him, he's sure he comes from a different time. And sure, maybe people did the game like that back when he began. And it's just changed over time. And he's just stayed the same. But to me, when I listen to Bob Irving call a game, I'm thinking this, this sounds different than everything. And it's just, it's special because it's unique because it's original Will we see another Angelo Mosca? Like, is he is no. he a standalone original, cannot be recreated? Because I feel that about Bob Irving as a play-by-play guy, and I feel that about Angelo as well. And I just wonder, because people no. are saying, well, we need personality in the CFL. It'd be great to have another Mosca. I'm like, that's not going to exist. That's, that's no, not possible. No, I think that's one of my points. If you're going to cast a shadow, cast your own shadow, hmm. right? It, uh, and I think that's one of my points. I mean, I, when I was writing this week, and I really found that difficult to write, I realized... I had a little grieving going on and, yeah. and I was writing about it. As you and, should. I mean, it's your yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it was silly of me not to notice that when I went in, I thought professionalism would trump that, you know, the fact that you have to get something done anyway. So, right. um, but when I was writing more, that's one of it, you know, we always talk about, they broke the mold. There wasn't a mold. <laughs> there wasn't even a mold <laughs> like for, for Angelo. I mean, it, it just, 
it it, it was an incredible sense of cir circumstances meeting an uh, a vessel like Angelo Mosca, who who I'm not sure you take all of those set of circumstances. I don't think it had to be on Angelo. It, it, if it happened to anybody else, a whole bunch of different things would have happened. So I don't think there can possibly be another. It's, times are different too, of course. He, you know, some of the stuff that 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 kind of made him what he was and kind of gave him that that undercurrent and really stoked his sense of humor. I mean, remembering that his sense of humor was both natural and as a defense against things, right? Yeah. Uh, the type of locker room camaraderie that while people talk about it, it's nothing like it was, it can't be like it was in the old. People go back, I mean, you know, athletes lead much more, I don't want to say normal, but, but more lives a little closer I mean, they, they, they get a lot more money for, which makes them different, but, but they're, they're, they don't, it's, it's not as located in only in the locker room as much as, as it once was. They don't, they don't travel in the same way. Uh, they don't play three games in uh, seven days. As unless often. you're Edmonton, unless, unless you're the you're Elks. Edmonton. And look at, look at how much we're hearing about that because, <laughs> because nobody's, nobody's used to that. Right. And, 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 uh, or, or lots of teams in the pandemic in various sports played overly. And we saw the effect of that. Well, they, people did that all the time. Yeah. So all of those circumstances, uh, conspire to say there'll never be another Angelo, but mostly because of who, who he was circumstances are changing for everybody, but that doesn't mean there can't be somebody and somebody in this town and somebody for the tiger. I mean, if you take a look at Simone Lawrence, yeah. who, if he were to play another, let's say two or three years, Different thing, never be quite as big as Angie. Respects Angie and always would he tell be the first guy to tell you, but he he grabs you in a different way. Now, the difference is that he isn't here in the off season as much. And Angelo, despite the fact that he never after a certain period of time, he didn't actually live in this town very often, but he was here every day. Yeah. When he lived in, when he lived in whether he lived in, in Welland or he lived in uh in uh Caledon where he had to be during his wrestling career because it was right by the airport, he was here all the time every day. You know, like every day he wasn't on the road. He was here. And, and uh, there, there's that as well. So you have, uh, um, and, and that showed something to people. Mm -hmm. uh, but Simone uh, is just one example of somebody that could maybe, and that's a tiger cat. And there could be, it could be a soccer play that comes on. There could be, it's a little difficult for a junior hockey player to, to do that in his, in his three years here, uh, you know, but, but uh, somebody could, and, and, but they'd have to do it in a different way. Because yeah. if you did it, 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 and and you and you can't try to do it. It has to become natural. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it has to be impelled rather than compelled. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting combination to be able to create those circumstances again. Yeah. You mentioned the wrestling there. I I lied to you on the last question because you just reminded me of one that I meant to ask you earlier, which is, um, he leaves football and goes on to have a very successful wrestling career well he was already in wrestling right like he had he had kind of dabbled into it but he gets he gets kind of pulled away and going to this other passion that he has great success yeah. with and i mean i don't know if it's necessarily in the book or if you've just explored it with him in different ways but was there any tension there in in the decision to leave one go to the other be more full-time into the wrestling aspect of things no, no no tension at all his body was done on football mm -hmm. And, uh, and the, the pull of wrestling was there and the sport of wrestling was just moving into more like it, it hadn't come yet, but he happened to be there as it become, became, it, it's always been a regional sport. 
and which is why you could be a good guy in one place and a bad guy in another and, and have a different name here and a different name there and be a champion here and be an underdog it, all of those things but it was you know Vince McMahon was starting to unite it. and there were some other things too the, the regions were getting bigger even when it was regionalized and, and TV it had always been a wrestling or a, a TV sport uh, not just but 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 TV was a big element a taped TV particularly and uh and it started to get a little more live TV and bigger events and arena events. And I mean, it, it, I mean, even in my time in the fifties, the Maple Leaf Gardens would sell out on a Sunday afternoon, 12, 14,000 to see the wrestlers of that day in the fifties. And, and, um, the, uh, um, it was perfectly, it was perfect for him, it, it, you know, because of the exaggeration. If I have a regret about the book is it wasn't long enough. And part of it was the wrestling and I, because I'm not as well versed in wrestling. Right. So and I, I didn't know how to prompt him like I did in the football because I knew a lot of stuff about the league and the game. And I could prompt him on things that maybe he hadn't thought to mention and and uh, or observations of those kinds of things, which I didn't have as much of that in wrestling. But I didn't have to because some of the stories were just outrageous. And I'll have to say, you know, lots of stories. I say, and we cannot tell that story. You know, so that, <laughs> I just say, you cannot tell that story. You know, yeah. but uh uh, no, there was no, I think he was sort of anxious to do it. And the money was so much better, Yeah, you know, for what you got. I mean, both of those sports are very hard on the body. Both of the sports are, I mean, obviously, you know, it's set up in wrestling and he explained a few things that they had to do, but I mean, you still had to do them and they're real physical, real physical and any mistake. And you know, of course you lose your teeth or dislocate a shoulder or, or even, just the daily grind of it. I mean, you know, night after night, you know, you're, you're, you're here, you're there and you're throwing people to the ground and, and, and uh, you're getting thrown to the ground. It, it's a difficult, I mean, those guys are athletes, you know, you may not call it a sport, but they're athletes. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Steve, this was uh, everything I had hoped it would be and much, much more. If you want more of him, Read the Hamilton Spectator, first and foremost. Okay, Keep keep my dude employed. Uh, make sure that he is uh, running around covering Forge, covering the Ticats, covering everything that you still are chasing down out there. Where do you want people to know to go and find you, follow you, all the good stuff? Well, I, I think it's just at the spec.com, of course, is, is, the, is the best place. I, you know, I don't tweet as much as, uh, you know, as you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tweet madly during a game and then forget to tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the mad tweeter in games, though. I know, just... <laughs> it's, it's my equivalent of talking to you. I can't shut up. So, that's, that's awesome. But at thespec.com and, and uh, you know, like, the, the, like everybody, we, we like we like people to visit our site like like, your, like yours. Yes, absolutely. Go there and, uh, and embrace the coverage because local high-quality journalism is something that is very, very valued. And Steve's been doing it at a very high level for a very long time. Well, Thank thanks. you, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks, Marshall. Always a pleasure. Always too much fun hanging out with Steve Milton from the Hamilton Spectator. And yes, go to thespec.com, but also give him a follow on Twitter, would you? Because when he's rapidly tweeting during games, sometimes there's some pretty funny stuff that comes out. At Milton, at the spec is where you can find him on social media. I just wanted to tell a quick Angelo Mosca story because I don't have many personal interactions with him, but one that I always kind of cherished because it gave me a window into the comedy that he could hold and also the fact that he was in high demand in Hamilton at a lot of different events. It was a Ticats Claws dinner. I was invited by Dave Stalla because I used to be Dave's kind of camp arm, if you will, during the winter months when the American quarterbacks were down south. Dave, of course, lived here in Hamilton and I would go and throw for him. And what ended up happening was Dave said, hey, why don't you come out, bring a date and come to this Ticats Claws event. I'm coming off getting my, I think I forget, it was my tonsils, my wisdom teeth, or something where basically I was on painkillers and I hadn't left the house in two weeks and I was down 15 pounds and so I looked awful. 
but I go out and I see all these big jacked football players and Angelo Mosco was at the event and you know we're kind of wandering around and being social and then they clink the glasses and say hey it's time for everybody to go and sit down and get yourselves all set for the event and let's you know have our procession and the speeches and all these things and Angelo Mosco was supposed to sit at my table I was so excited I couldn't wait and then all of a sudden as we're about to begin Mosca comes over puts his hand on my shoulder at the table he's supposed to be sitting at with a chair specially set up for him near the front and says I'm doing the old slide and then walked out the back door <laughs> it was something I'll never forget it's not that he was ditching on the event he had already done his job he'd been around he'd been social he'd shaken everybody's hands Nance just didn't feel like sitting around that night. He, he wanted to go out and do something different. Maybe he just wanted to go home and relax. Maybe he wanted to go to bed. Whatever he wanted to do. Ange was his own man, I think, is the thing that I took away from that interaction. And, uh, and I learned a lot in my conversation with Steve Milton today as well. I hope that you did as well. Thank you to Fox 40 as always. Again, make sure you're going to fox40shop.com and getting all of the equipment, the whistles, the coaching boards, everything you need to get out there on the field and Sawdust City Beer. If you want some great beer for the playoffs, sawdustcitybeer.com is the place that you have to go. We are back coming up for you on Monday morning. Nice, bright, and early. Myself and Kyle Mello with a new edition of Marshmallow. Of course, we got All Canadian. By the time that the guys from All Canadian talk to you next week, they will know who is playing in the Yates Cup. We are going to be on location at the Yates Cup. I'll be working the sidelines, probably the Queen's sideline I think at this point is what I've heard. And we got uh, all sorts of good things from the breakdown coming up to uh, where we're going to go with the A Block next week. Probably a conversation with John Pearlberg, sensational stats man from the CFL and TSN, getting you ready for the playoff push and taking a look at the most interesting teams from around the Canadian Football League. For now, have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy the doubleheader Friday, Saturday and of course we will talk to you next week right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you.